Now, over the course of uh, sort of this year so far, uh, we've been doing sort of like an infrequent uh, overarching series on some of Paul's prayers in the Bible. So starting back in January, we did something from Thessalonians, then a bit later, some couple on Colossians. We did one on Ephesians chapter 1, and we're currently uh, in the middle. This is the second of three on Ephesians chapter 3. And all these passages are some of Paul's prayers. Paul, a guy that you can read about in the New Testament, who was initially uh, very anti-God, anti-Christian. Well, he wasn't anti-God in his thinking, but anti, uh, anti-Christian, killing and persecuting Christians, had a dramatic encounter with uh, God as he was going to a place called Damascus to basically kill Christians and put them in prison, realised that he got it all wrong, gave his life to Jesus and became one of the main uh, sort of speakers, preachers of the day of Jesus, convincing people that actually he's their Lord and Savior and they should follow him. And he wrote much of the New Testament. So all these books here uh, were written by this guy, Paul. And those particular passages were all places where he prayed and he wrote down his prayers. And we've been looking at them over this say, sort of on and off period to help us think about what is it that, if you like, concerns God in his word that Paul got the heart of and therefore prays. And uh, so that it helps give us fuel, if you like, for our prayers, for catching the things that concern God and is on his heart for our lives and for his kingdom to hopefully help us learn to pray a bit more. So it's not just the things we're particularly bothered about, although God does listen to them and he wants to hear your prayers, but some of those, you might say, bigger things to guide us and help us learn how to pray. Who here has ever prayed at all, tried to pray. Who here has ever found it a bit hard sometime once they've been going for more than about five seconds or something like that? I mean, it happens to all of us, doesn't it? And I suppose one of the hearts behind this series is we just get some fuel, some heart for helping us pray. As we hear what's in God's word uh, of Paul, who was a great prayer, seems to me, he tell us, tells us a bit about his prayer life, and we can learn from him and learn from God and help us to pray more. Who would like that? I would like that. Good. So hopefully I'll do some justice to this passage now and encourage us in our prayers. So we've been, um, so, so the whole passage that we're looking at these next three weeks, so this is number two or three, was Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 to 21. Dave spoke on the first bit of the prayer last week. Uh, today we're in verses 17, halfway through 17 actually, uh, to 19. I would just like to read the whole of it, verses 14 to 21, because that's good to do, and then we'll look again at these particular verses and get going. So do you recognise this? This is a paper Bible. I'm not sure I've had one of these up, up here for a while, actually. It's often on the PowerPoint in your phone or something. So anyway, here we are. If you haven't got one of these, they're very useful. So, so chapter 3, verses 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, says Paul saying, he's been writing, he says, so for this reason I kneel before the Father. It's a, a posture of prayer. Generally prayers in those days were prayed standing up, so the kneeling is showing an intensity to it. It's that describing what he's doing. I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Amen, yeah. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So that's the whole prayer, and um, Philip next week is going to pick up from verse 20. So we're looking at uh, verses 17 to 19, which is, which is up here. Just a quick bit on Ephesians. So I told you a little bit about Paul. So Ephesians is a New Testament book. So the Bible, uh, you can see it in two major sections. Old Testament, before Jesus. New Testament, the start of books, uh, when it tells the life of Jesus, when he came to this earth and did all his amazing things, died for us, rose again. And then the books following the New Testament wrote about Jesus and wrote to, uh, a lot of them were letters to Christians, uh, encouraging Christians on how to live the life in the light of what Jesus has now done for us. Uh, and Ephesians is one of those letters that this guy Paul wrote. And it's called Ephesians because it's written to Christians in a city called Ephesus. So they have some funny names sometimes in the New Testament books, but actually it's just because of the names of the places where people were living. So it's quite straightforward. So Paul had started this church. You can read about it in the book of Acts, uh, which is the church history book. And um, he'd started his church. He'd been there for about two, two and a half years, I think it was, and he'd, he'd gone on to start other churches. And a bit later on... Uh, uh, he wrote this letter, Ephesians, to encourage the church. He was actually in prison at the time. And, uh, and so he wrote many things to them, including this prayer that we're looking at. So let me just read this prayer uh, again so I can read off my sheet here. So it's the second bit of his petition for the church he's just heard. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. It's a big prayer, isn't it? It's really quite a, a big prayer in so many ways. It takes us, uh, if you like, from our initial new birth in Christ, where Christians have first been born again, become Christian in God's love, through, you might say, the whole of our life in every single aspect, good and bad, uh, through God's love, all the way through to, you might say, eternal bliss. So it's quite a, a far-ranging uh, scope in the prayer. So let's go through it. So he starts off, I pray that you be rooted and established in love. Now, if you're a Christian here, we have been made a Christian, if you like, by God, rooted and established because of God's love, haven't we? It's because God has loved us with such an amazing love that we have become a Christian. That's what happened. His love touched our lives. It's what got us going. It's what has rooted us. If like Paul gives like the picture of like a, a tree, strong roots so it can grow big or established. It's more a building energy, strong foundations. So you can build a big, uh, impressive structure on top, building on top. God has done that for us. We are rooted and established in his love, demonstrated, accomplished by what Jesus did on the cross for us, that ultimate self-giving act of love. That's what gives us such strong roots, such something so strong to establish our lives on. We are rooted and established in love. It's not because of our merits. It's not because of our works. It's not because we've thought we'll have a go at this. It's because he has loved us. And he's done it through Jesus and rescued us and, and so rooted and established us. Now Paul, in the context, he's, right, he's been writing to the Ephesians about 
at how what Jesus has done on the cross for us hasn't just rescued us, if you like, as individuals, but he's making himself a people. Uh, almost you can use the phrase almost like a new humanity. One people in Christ under God. And um, so you can almost describe the world. And there's two types of people in the world. Those who are in Christ, uh, who are Christian, and those that don't know Jesus. It's such a transformation. It's so different. So it's even drawn in Paul's context, drawn the Jew and the Gentile together in Christ, which was the biggest kind of human divide of the day. And so he's been talking about that. And that's when he said at the start of the passage, for this reason, because we're now one in Christ, for this reason I pray all these prayers, you who are rooted and established in love. So we've been got going by the love of God, demonstrated in Christ. And now the only way to keep going, the only way to build on those roots, to build on what has been established, is to keep loving. It's a challenge to us to keep loving one another, to be that one people together in Christ. Regardless of all our differences, our backgrounds, and obviously the times when it goes wrong uh, and we fall out with one another, bigger and stronger all the time are these roots, this established foundation of Christ's love, which calls us to stand on that and keep loving one another and keep building what he is looking to build in us, his church. So he, he speaks. Uh, he says, look, because you're rooted and established in love, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep as the love of Christ. Isn't it great when we appear, as it were, more directly in the Bible? There's a few places in the Bible where this kind of happens. So Paul prays here for all the Lord's holy people. So you and I, if you're a Christian here, we're in it. We're in this prayer, as it were. We're in sort of God's heart. And other places where Jesus prays for all of us that will follow on from his disciples in John 17. It's always an intriguing place. You think, oh, I'm in the Bible. So that's quite encouraging. So he prays that the Ephesians and us will have power to grasp hold of God's love. We need power. We are rooted and established and it's strong in us and yet there's more to get hold of. It's not like a done deal. It's just more. It's big in scope. And we come to those verses in a second. It's just so big. How do you get hold of that? And we can't do it just like, you know, I get God's love. We do get God's love in that sense because we're rooted in it. We're established in it. We know what he's done for us. We're encouraged by it. Our lives are built on that. And yet there's more to come. There's more to get hold of. This is quite exciting, really. And Paul prays that we would have power from God. And other, other verses put it that we had strength to comprehend. It's like it's there. And if we're just on our own, we're too feeble to reach out and get hold of this immense thing called God's love. There's um, uh, a story in Greek mythology uh, of a character called um, Tantalus. Or Tantalus, Tantalos. Uh, he's, um, th- these are, this is not obviously what our gods like, thankfully. In, in Greek the mythology, the gods get upset very, very easily, don't they? He, this chaps upset the gods, and his punishment, he's got an eternal punishment where he's constantly hungry and thirsty. So he's standing in some water, and there's some fruit above his head. Whenever he kind of reaches out to take the fruit, it sort of drifts away from him. And whenever he bends down to drink the water because he's thirsty, it kind of sinks below him, and he can never get it. He can never quite get hold of what he hungers and thirsts for, and that's his punishment for all eternity in this story. And tantalos is where we, in that sense, get our word tantalizing from. He's being tantalized. He can't get hold of them. And I think some, so if we're not careful, we can see this verse here a bit like it's a bit tantalizing. 
It's like it's just not, it's just out of reach. How do you grasp God's love in its entirety? Because that's not the point really at all. That's not God's heart at all. He wants us to be full of his love, to grow up, and obviously the prayer goes on to that, to really have it full in us, full food for us. What we really, really need in our life is more of God's love. In fact, even obviously some of what's come out unsurprising because what's been on the news. We live in a world that could do with a lot more of God's love, don't we? A world that desperately, desperately needs to grasp more of the scope of it, more of its breadth, more of its width. And our own lives, in that sense, need that. And God isn't trying to tantalize us like it's just out of reach, like we can't quite get it. Whenever we go towards it, I really need that. It sort of drifts out of way. No, but Paul's prayer is saying, but it is something that is bigger than just us. And so we should pray for each other. We should pray that God will give us power at different stages and different steps in life. To, oh, there it is. There's the love of God. God has blessed. And we recognize it's a gracious thing. So every time it's a work of God, whenever we know it, whenever it's deep in us, whenever we are, are encouraged and strengthened by the love of God in some area of our life, some situation we're in and we see that God is loving us through it and blessing us. It's not because we got clever. It's not because we made just more right decisions or wrong decisions, but because God has gifted us with his power, his strength to get it. Always gracious, but not tantalizing. And that's why we need to stand with each other in prayer as well, isn't it? In some ways, this is the core of the prayer. I pray that you may have power to grasp or strength to comprehend. We can miss it. Uh, quite easily in our lives sometimes, we can forget the love of God. It can pass us by. We forget the scope of it. It's width. I'm going to get it wrong if I don't read it. No matter how many times I've read it, I will not get it right or in order. I'll miss some dimension out. How wide it is, how long it is, how high it is, how deep it is. I find it interesting. A bit of modern day thinking. I'm not sure it was necessarily a Paul thing. It's like it's four dimensions. It goes high, it goes wide, it goes long, it goes deep. Hang on, haven't we gone there already? It's like it's this multifaceted, every area, four-dimensional love that covers every single aspect of our life, every situation, uh, work, home, church life, you know, to every single emotion, every sort of high moment, bad moment. God has it covered in his love. It is reached every area of your love, Christ, every area of your life, sorry. Christ's love is reaching into it. You can't escape it. It's like that Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? If I go here, there, you're there. Christ's love has always got its finger on your life, no matter what's going on. And I particularly want to say, uh, it's off so often in the bad times, the difficult times, even the tragic times, when we can lose sight of God's love, can't we? And I'm sure if you've been a Christian in a while, you have known people that have started questioning God's love, beginning to believe a lie that he no longer loves them because of some terrible situation. And sometimes really it is terrible. It really is hard. And, and you know, we stand around, we think, I don't have answers. There's no glib response. But Christ's love is still there. And we need power to grasp it. That's how we see it. It doesn't just come automatically. We can all lose sight of that. And maybe some of you even today are going through some situations, some things are going on in your life. Maybe they're tragic, really hard, and you think, where is God's love? How has he let that happen? What's going on? You know, why is this happening to me? And 
you know, I, I'm not going to be able to give you answers like that. I'm not sure anyone would be able to, obviously. But we can pray for one another and say, Lord, let them know power to grasp the breadth of your love, to say, oh, look, there it is. There's the, there's the love of God in that area. Oh, it has reached out to that. Oh, it hasn't let me go. And a bit later on, when, we, uh, when I finish, I'd love to have time. If you're going through something particularly, and even now you're, you're doubting, and can I say even there's something of you beginning to believe a lie? God doesn't love me. I've seen it because of that. He can't really love me. Don't believe the lie. Keep grasping his love, but get people around you to pray for power. So I was going to finish up Romans 8, just reminds us of this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Another one of Paul's letters, but something similar in that. It's there for us, but sometimes we need power to grasp it. So he wants us to have power to grasp how wide, high, deep and long is the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now that doesn't quite work, does it? That's, that's getting confusing, to know the love that surpasses knowledge. There is always something bigger than, mysterious, deeper than in Christ's love. It should be an encouragement to us. It's not meant God can't tantalise us that say that we can't really ever get it. But somehow, even as we know it, there's something that is surpassing knowledge. There's something that is poetic here. There is something that is mysterious. There is something deeper. There is something because it's God's love and he's just bigger than any one of us have yet understood. And his love for us is more incredible and deeper than any of us have yet ever understood. And maybe sometimes on occasions you've been in a place where you've been overwhelmed by the God of love and you've been dancing for joy, you've been weeping with just the emotion of it all. You've realised again that an incredible sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the horror of it and yet he did it for you, his forgiveness of your sin and you're overwhelmed and you know God's love and yet it's still greater than even those moments. There's still more. It surpasses knowledge. It's just an incredible thing. John Stott says, Doubtless we shall spend eternity exploring his inexhaustible riches of grace and love. We've got all eternity to be sort of going deeper and deeper and understanding more and more of his love that surpasses knowledge. So it is deep and it's mysterious, but of course God's love is intensely day-to-day and, dare I say, even practical and mundane. And so it says he hits this sort of pinnacle of the, the, the no, to know what surpasses knowledge. And you think, hang on, Paul, what's going on? What's that about? You know, good grief, I do need the power of God for it. But it doesn't mean it's not incredibly real and incredibly tangible. And Jesus gave, uh, spoke a number of times, obviously, about God's love, Father's love. And a couple of verses we're going to look at here draw out something of the depth, even more dramatically than this, I would say, uh, and yet makes it incredibly practical to us as well. So this is John speaking, uh, Jesus speaking in John's Gospel. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And I'll read the next bit in a second. But j- just stop on that second. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus is God's beloved Son. He and the Father and the Spirit have dwelt together in perfect unity, perfect love from all eternity past. And will do for all eternity future. However you stretch that language. And they have perfectly 
lovingly loved each other. Different theologians describe something like the dance of God. They've always loved each other. There's, there's never ebbed and flowed at all. It's been an intense love for all eternity that's always been going on. And God created us and made us, as Peter was saying earlier, for his glory so that we could share in that love. And Jesus says, just in a line, I have loved you like the Father has been loving me for all of eternity. It can't get better than that, folks. There's nowhere else to go. It's totally amazing. And then Jesus says, so remain in my love. And you think, oh, I want to remain in that love. That's incredible. There's something on our part of remaining in that complete love over every aspect of our lives. And Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you remain in my love. It's suddenly intensely practical. Obedience to God to follow in his ways as part of our loving of him. And he goes on to say, a few verses later, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And obviously he's beginning to speak of himself, but can I say it's just intensely practical. Probably, you know, it's probably fair enough to say, how do we know love, this mysterious deep love, this man, God has loved me, Jesus has loved me like the eternal love he's received from the Father. Will we know it in our acts of obedience and our acts of sacrifice and kindness and mercy for one another? We know this love of Jesus because he died for us and he gave his life for us. And in a myriad of different ways, we're of course called to live like that, taking up our cross, denying ourselves and living for each other and giving ourselves to each other. And that's how we know love, isn't it? And it's not just a practical love, it's a love that is part of this great love something that's bigger than us, and that's how we know it. It's not just sort of in the head as if we intellectually get our heads round it. It's bigger than just our intellect. It touches every aspect of our lives. And for us to uh, be living out sort of Paul's prayer of, uh, of knowing this love that surpasses knowledge, something that's us acting out, blessing one another, um, being kind to one another, giving uh, ourselves in acts of love to one another, and as we receive and as we give, uh, I'm sure we'll know more of this love. So that quote from John Stott again is at stake on the love that surpasses knowledge. Doubtless we shall spend eternity exploring his inexhaustible riches of grace and love. But I wonder if that, we could also say doubtless we will spend now exploring inexhaustible ways of demonstrating his love to one another. We can know it right now even though it will constantly be uh, more than just you know, the total of what we know as well. Now, he goes on. It's getting almost in some ways deeper and more amazing. He completes the whole uh, sort of concept of his prayers, whole pray, praying that we have power to grasp, that we know what surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That sounds like a good prayer, I think. I hope you think it's a good prayer. It's like if you've ever been in, if you've been hanging around church a bit, have you ever been in a prayer meeting, it says pray your best prayer over somebody. You know, pray, just bless them the best way you can. Well, it's a bit like that, um, at least in part. It's not just like, Lord, may this church, these people have this gift or this provision from God or this particular blessing. It's like, no, can they have God himself, the fullness of God the giver himself, not just the gifts. It's like the best thing Paul can come up with. That's what I want you to have, the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But it's also, he seems to be making really quite a, 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 um, again, a deep, you might say, a theological point. 
uh, about what God's doing in our life. Elsewhere in the book of Colossians, again Paul has written, one of his letters, he said, For in Christ, Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So Jesus, fully man, fully God, perfect in every way, walked around this earth, uh, never did anything wrong, never said anything wrong, totally sinless, filled with the fullness of God. He was perfect. That's how he is our perfect sacrifice on the cross. That's how he paid the price for us. He didn't deserve the punishment. It was our sin that put him there. And he's perfect in every way, and the fullness of God dwelt in him. And in this very similar phrase, Paul is praying that we may know more of the love of God so that we may be filled to all the fullness of God. It's like he is, the whole prayer is like pushing us into being more and more and more like Jesus, to be perfect, even like Jesus is perfect. Now, on this, whilst we're in these bodies, on this earth as we are now, that's never going to quite get there. It's never going to quite happen. So it's like Paul is pushing us into eternity. This is where we're heading. The fullness of God in lives. This is what God's love does. It doesn't just partially transform. It doesn't just partially heal. We heard it, it makes all things new. We heard about it this morning. It will make you and I new. This is what happens as God like We will be transformed completely. One day, it will not be like this. We've been loved by Jesus, like the Father himself loved Jesus. And we are destined for all the measure of the fullness of God to us, to be like him, even be like him even as we see him face to face. And it pushes on, it raises us. It's not just as it takes us again. It should really take us. The Spirit gives us power to take us out of the difficulties of life. And so it's not some airy fair way. Love to go through them, love to uh, see the love of God in them and, uh, and keep going. But there's something more coming for all of us here who are Christian. If you're not a Christian, you need to give your life to Jesus. And one day you'll be transformed. God's fullness living in you for all eternity as we sing his praises and glorify in him. Now, it's not, just again, it's not, okay, this is just pie in the sky later on. Because of that, it's pushing us on to be transformed now. It's not like that will just happen. So today... We're called to become a bit more like Jesus, from one degree of glory to another, it says elsewhere in the New Testament. A bit more of the fullness of God in our lives. So it's hugely, hugely challenging, but it's so encouraging at the same time. And we have real hope. I will be transformed. I will be different. Because God has loved me. And he loves you. And we will be changed. It's just amazing, isn't it? just wonderful that's why uh, as Paul finishes the, as more Paul, uh, Philip is going to be speaking on next week he just starts praising God it leaves a petition for the church and just says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the, his power that is work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen Amen Guys, I'd love us to, to pray. As I said earlier, I'd, uh, when I was preparing this, I'd really love uh, to pray for anybody who, if you like, in, in, in their life, you're starting to really lose your grasp of the love of God. We all want more power to grasp it, right? We want to grow in it. We all want to know more about that knowledge that surpasses. 
but maybe you know in your uh, current situation you're really doubting. Uh, I put it quite um, provocatively earlier, like you're starting to believe a lie, like God doesn't love you. How can this be going on? And, uh, and it is a lie, it's not true. And we'd love to stand with you now and pray for you to receive power, to grasp God's love, its breadth, its width, in your current situation.